0: Well, good morning. morning. I'm Pastor Lindsay, and it is great to be here with you this morning. Whether you're here with us in the theater or you're joining us online or you're listening via podcast, it's so great to have you with us this morning. Um, So this past week was Halloween. And um, if you live in Charlotte, you might remember that on Thursday, Halloween night, there were forecasted some severe storms um, for our area. And we have a local meteorologist who got onto Facebook and his social media platforms. And he suggested that if you could, that you should postpone your trick-or-treating until the day after Thanksgiving. I mean, not Thanksgiving, Halloween. (laughs) That'd be a long gap. (laughs) You should postpone until the day after Halloween, okay? So, So listen, I don't know what kind of neighborhood that you live in, but this caused the people in my neighborhood to collectively lose their minds, okay? People were just going crazy at this. And we have this Nextdoor app. You may have this as well in your neighborhood where people get online. It's a platform that they can talk. And it just was snowballing back out of control, right? There was friction, there was drama. People just were arguing about like, when is the appropriate time to go trick-or-treating? And as I'm watching this, I realized y'all, we've just like missed the entire purpose. <laughs> like, what is the point of what we're doing? Like somewhere along the line, people just forgot that actually what we're doing is we're, we're meeting our neighbors, right? We're going out in the community and we're trying to fill the buckets of these little kids, like literally and figuratively, right? We're giving them candy, we're encouraging them, we're like high-fiving these little pirates and princesses and like, like what's the purpose of what we're doing? And, and we lost sight of that. Today, uh, Pastor Kyle mentioned we are kicking off a new sermon series called Purpose. We get to do this. And so we are looking together and remembering that we as a church community have a unique and holy calling together and this purpose of living out our love for God and love for our neighbors in really unique ways. And so in a couple of weeks, um, Pastor Kyle is going to invite us to actually make a commitment for what we might be called to do to live that out. And today, I just want to invite you to dream with me as we think about what this actually can look like for us as individuals and as a community that we get to live this out together. Um, And so today I specifically wanna invite you to think with me about financial generosity and think about our purpose um, with our money in community. And I just want to acknowledge that this is actually a pretty tricky topic, and this is a difficult thing for us as a community um, to talk about sometimes, because there's a lot of misunderstanding, there's a lot of wrong teaching, there's a lot of abuse in this, in the church, actually. Um, And so money has become a topic that people actually would just rather that we avoid it altogether, right? It's like politics at a dinner party. You're like, wouldn't this just be nicer if we didn't? right? Like, can we just skip over this? So why do we actually talk about this in church? Here at South Park Church, if you go on our website, if you look in our printed materials, we actually list financial generosity as one of our core values, Why do we do that, right? Why do we as a church community insist on talking about financial generosity? And so to help us answer this question, I want us to go together um, to 1 Timothy. And this is a, a book in the New Testament. It's actually a letter that Paul wrote. Paul was a church planner in the first century. And he wrote this letter to a young pastor named Timothy. So Timothy um, was leading a church that had some people who really misunderstood certain aspects of living out the gospel. And one of the things they misunderstood was how their faith and their finances were meant to work together. And so Paul wrote to Timothy and said he wanted him to teach his church about this. So let's read together and see if we can learn something um, from what Paul wanted them to learn as well. So we're going to read together from 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. So these are some pretty strong words from Paul. You know, sometimes when you read something like this, you say, well, Paul, why don't you tell us how you really feel, right? Like this is just super straight talk from Paul. And he's saying those who desire, those who crave, those who long for wealth and personal riches actually fall into temptation that can lead to really terrible things. And so he says, you man of God, he's talking to a specific man, to Timothy, you Timothy, you teacher of the gospel, you follower of Jesus, flee these things because it will lead you into a trap. And so when I read this, I was reminded of Jesus's words in Matthew 6. This is the, um, one of Jesus's most famous teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. And right in the heart of this famous sermon that Jesus preached um, are these words about money. So I want us to read these together as well. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here, Paul is emphasizing something that Jesus had already taught, right? That there is this risk in storing up treasures for yourself in in going after um, this physical stockpiling of stuff. And I don't think Paul is teaching this because he thinks that God hates money. Right? There are too many other things in scripture that would counter that. I don't think it's that God hates money or anything like that, but Paul is reminding us what Jesus already said, that there is a temptation in this, that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So there, there is a trap, a snare, a temptation, Paul says, because money has this way of drawing our hearts and our hopes into it. And so something like our financial resources that once were something that was actually helpful actually shifts and transitions to something that we put our hope and our confidence into. And so Paul is warning us against this, and he's saying, watch out, because this is a temptation that can lead to destruction, because it lures us in, and that it accidentally wraps us up, our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our identity, who we think we are, our status, right, all of these things that Jesus wants us to find in him, who we are, our hope and our security, right? We accidentally start thinking that who we are is wrapped up in what we drive, or where we live or how much money we have. And we accidentally shift our hope from Jesus onto our stuff. And I think it's worth noting that Paul is actually writing this to Timothy. He says, you man of God, you flee these things. And so Timothy was actually the pastor. Okay, so he's the leader of the church. He is one who is spiritually mature, who was entrusted with teaching the gospel and the message of Jesus. And he's saying, You, man of God, flee these things. Right? You have to be wary of this because you could get wrapped up in it as well. So, I think those of us who sometimes want to think that we are maybe beyond this kind of thinking, right? We, we've learned so much about Jesus and his kingdom. We understand so much about the gospel that we wouldn't be trapped into thinking our identity is in our stuff, right? There is this warning from Paul that says, watch out. Watch out, even you who are seasoned followers of Jesus, who understand stuff about the kingdom, you could be wrapped up in this, right? You could be tempted to stray, so you have to run away, right? Even those of us who followed Jesus for a long time, who are entrusted with teaching about it, we could be tempted to stray, so we have to run away. Flee, he says, flee these things. And in the same chapter that Paul tells Timothy that he ought to avoid desiring to be rich, um, he then goes on to tell him what he should do instead. So I just want to keep reading to you from this chapter. um, And this is in verse 18. He says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So at the heart of Paul's instruction about money is this invitation to generosity. And this is something that's actually quite countercultural, um, even to us, right? Those of us who who might already embrace this idea of generosity, it's still countercultural what he's saying because what he's saying is actually. You need to be thinking about generosity and sharing your wealth and not thinking about accumulating stuff, right? So there's this flip. And it's actually unusual for people in our culture to think more about giving, more about what they could give away than they think about what they could acquire for themselves. That's unusual. But it's even ridiculously unusual in the time of Paul. When Paul was teaching this, um, the cultural norm was that you would only take care of people who were in your same group, right? In your family or in your same social class. And so it's not that you wouldn't help anyone, but you would only help people who you knew could help you in return right? It's kind of, I'll, I'll pick up the check this time, you'll pick up the check next time. There wasn't any mercy or generosity or giving to poor or to sick people in particular. Um, and so the, the Roman government, the pagan religions, philosophers, all pushed hard against this idea. Um, Plato, who's a pretty well-known philosopher, uh, you've probably heard of him, actually said this. He said, a poor man who is no longer able to work because of a sickness should be left to die. That's what Plato said. And then there was a Roman philosopher, Plautus, and he said, you do a beggar bad service by giving him food and drink because you lose what you give and you prolong his life of misery. Right During the time of Paul and the early church when he was teaching this, there was this understanding that there was like a natural consequence to stuff. Either something happened or you made a choice or something and there was gonna be a natural outflow and they were not gonna interrupt that. And they they thought that this is, you wouldn't give something to someone if they hadn't earned it because that was messing with stuff and that wasn't just. And so along came Jesus who just, messed up the whole system and he modeled and taught the entire opposite of that. And he taught a way of generosity and of mercy that everybody is equal and everybody is worthy of of, um, giving our stuff and taking care of and loving. And so Paul is insisting that the way of the gospel and the way that the churches have to live this out is in following not what the government's saying, not what culture is dictating, but in what Jesus modeled and in what Jesus taught. And that's of generosity. Now, the early church, uh, they really got this. They grabbed hold of this. So you can read stories even in like Acts chapter six, where they were taking care of widows and orphans, and they were doing this so much that they actually had to appoint, I think, seven elders to take and oversee all the stuff that they were giving away, right? They were being so generous. And there are these other stories too um, from the second and third century where people were giving um, quite sacrificially and ridiculously um kind of out of proportion, you would say, for what they even could. There's a quote um, that I wanted to read to you. And um, this was from 130 AD. And they said this about the early followers of Jesus and the church. They said, if there is any among them that is poor and needy, and they have no spare food, they fast for two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. So the early church was actually skipping feeding themselves and their families. If they didn't have more food in the pantry to to welcome somebody else to the table, they just wouldn't eat themselves for days in order that other people could eat and so that they could be generous in what they were giving. And people around them took note. So I have this other quote that I wanted to read to you. And this was actually from, from a pagan. This was not a follower of Jesus. And this is something that he was saying, actually mocking the church And he said, the earnestness with which the people of this religion help one another in their need is incredible. They spare themselves nothing for this end. Their first lawgiver put it in their heads that they were all brethren. So the first lawgiver, that was Jesus. And so they're making fun of him and they're like, this guy, Jesus, has convinced them that they're all like in the same family. Right, That that they all are equal and they are all of value and of worth and that they should take care of everybody. And he was saying the the extent to which they're doing this is incredible. We have stories of the early church and we also have stories throughout the church. It's not only the earliest days um, that we would see this. Um, There's a story of John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist Church and we're Methodists. And so they said that the first year that John Wesley earned a salary, he earned 30 pounds. And they said his cost of living was about 28 pounds. And so he gave away two pounds. And the next year, his salary doubled. So he earned 60 pounds. But he still just lived on 28 pounds. And so he gave away 32 pounds. And this kept happening year after year. As his salary would increase, his level of living stayed the same. And so for all of his ministry, he he spent about 30 pounds a year. And at one point, he earned 1,400 pounds a year. And he was just giving it all away and this raised suspicions because people were like who does this right like I mean, really, who does that, right? Where you, where you live on so little of what you earn. And it was so baffling that the English tax commissioners actually audited him. And they said, this is unbelievable that somebody would do this. We know somebody of your wealth must have a bunch of silver and you haven't paid any of the silver excise taxes. And so we need to know what's going on. And so this, this was what John Wesley said in response to that. He said, I have two silver spoons at London and two at Bristol. And this is all the plate I have at present, and I shall not buy any more while so many around me want bread. So John Wesley was insisting that he was not going to buy things for himself or any luxury stuff while there was so much need around him. Y'all, this is inspiring right? This is incredible. This kind of giving, this kind of generosity, where you are willing to consume less so that you can give away more, it's shocking generosity. And I think it's particularly um, moving, these stories of the early church, because a lot of times when we think of generosity, we think that this is something that's reserved for the rich, right? That when you have extra and when you have surplus is when you'll give it away. But but this is reminding us that, that actually, listen, the problem with that is none of us actually thinks we're rich, right? So if we think that generosity is for the rich, that's not something that we'll ever feel like we can participate in. Because rich is the person who's next to us who has more than we do. Because we end up consuming or using or spending pretty much everything that we earn and that we have. And when we look around us, other people still have more than we do. They have bigger houses, they have faster cars, they have fancier clothes, and we don't have any left over. so we're not rich, they're rich. But the problem is that rich becomes a moving target that none of us actually ends up achieving. And so the the thing that's so incredible about the teachings of Paul and the stories of the church like this remind us that generosity, even if it starts small, can start now. Right. This isn't something that we have to wait for to achieve a certain level of something, that if we would be willing to consume less ourselves, that we would be able to help people beyond what we ever even dreamed that we could, because we were moving into this ridiculous level of generous giving. And I don't know if you can tell by my excitement. And sometimes I talk a little faster when I get excited, but like this is inspiring to me. And the more that I learn about Jesus and the more that I love him, the more convinced I am that this is the kind of generosity that Jesus wants to tether his church to, right? He wants to tether us to this kind of ridiculous, upside down, mind boggling compassion and generosity that will come and change the world. I think that's why Jesus talked about money more than he talked about almost anything else. Jesus taught about money more than he taught about heaven and hell combined. He, he cared about this. And Paul is writing about this in his letters to the churches because he wants people to understand that the way that you love God and the way that you love your neighbor, it is necessarily tied to what you do with your wallet. And so there's this incredible teaching for us and these examples for us to follow. So now one of the most amazing things to me about this, right? We, we've talked um, about the need to, to flee and, and to push back against the temptation for us to find our identity or our security or our significance in our stuff. Um, and we've talked about the invitation to generosity. And one of the really cool things to me is that when, when I keep reading here, um, we can see what Paul says happens when we are generous. Okay, so this is in 1 Timothy 6.19. He says that when we're rich in good works, when we're generous with our resources and we're ready to share, he says, then we will take hold of the life that is truly life. That's how we take hold of the life that is truly life. Here at South Park, we talk a lot about life to the full, right? This is what Paul is talking about. Life that is truly life is life that is full. Right this is one of the reasons that I'm so grateful to be a part of this community here at South Park Church. I tell so many people the story of this church. Right? I have been so inspired by you and by your willingness um, to give generously, right? your willingness to sacrifice your own personal preferences and your love of, of a place and of a building and the comfort that you have. And you said, I am willing to surrender and to sacrifice these things for the cause of the kingdom of Jesus. I am willing to lay this down in order to participate in something so that other people can see and have and understand. If if you're new here or you don't know the story of our church, right? this church community, we've been around for more than 50 years. And actually, this community, we we literally have torn down our building and we have shared our land and we have given generously of our time and of our financial resources and of our, our prayers and of our compassion and all of this stuff. We have just poured and poured and poured all so that we could serve people that we have literally not even met yet. Right? That is the gospel being lived out right in front of us. That is what we are participating in. And we are following Jesus in the only model that he gave us, and that is of death and resurrection. And this is something that I'm telling you, like, it is not an easy thing to do. Right? It comes with pain, and it comes with sacrifice, and it comes with like this just deep emotion But along with that is a generosity of spirit and a participating in the gospel that elevates Jesus and his kingdom so that everyone can participate and everyone can see something more. I love seeing this generosity lived out in practical ways. I love seeing the way that we are living out the gospel here in this church community. And we have a really important message to share with our neighbors. I am... I have a a picture that I want to show you. And this is a a picture of a really nice house. Okay, now I have have mixed emotions about this picture because there's a problem with this picture. And that is that this doesn't look like destruction and ruin. Okay, so Paul, in this letter, we were talking earlier about how he said that desiring to be rich is actually a snare that can lead us to destruction and ruin. But when I look at this, I don't see destruction and ruin, right? I don't know what you see when you look at this, but to me, this kind of looks like happily ever after, right? This looks like a a nice place. And so I think that this is where we have to be discerning and where we have to listen to what Paul is teaching because this is what our culture tells us is life to the full. This is what culture would tell us. It it looks like the fullness of everything that you could have. And so this is where the upside down teaching of Paul and where the ministry of Jesus has to grab hold of us and turn us in a different direction. Our church is literally across the street from South Park Mall. Okay, And shopping malls, in a lot of ways, can sort of embody or picture some of what can be confusing and enticing and drawing us in about the culture. Because a culture would tell us that life to the full would be going into a shopping mall and being able to buy anything that you want that's in that shopping mall. Right? But we know that life to the full, while it's not opposed to those things, right? it's not opposed to shopping malls. Life to the full is not opposed to beautiful things, but it is not found in those things. Life to the full is found in Jesus. And Paul tells us that we actually lay hold of life to the full through lives of generosity. Right, so this is something that, that we understand something of, and we have a story to tell of our own um, sacrifice and in following Jesus in this. And we get to, to bring this message to a community about what life to the full really is and what it really means. Um, I have this maps that I want to show you. And um, these maps were actually put out by 4Charlotte. For 4Charlotte For is a network of churches in Charlotte and they're working to transform the city. Uh, For Charlotte is the same group that actually put together our um, neighboring series that we just did a few weeks ago where 100 churches all did it together. And they also have just put out this state of the city report. And I actually would really encourage you to um, look at that report. You can go to their website and download it. It it's, has a lot of information about the most pressing needs in Charlotte. But I pulled these maps from that report because I thought that they could be helpful in what we were talking about today. So um, one of the things that we can see, the map on the left is actually Charlotte and it shows our income sort of divided by wealth. And so the darker areas on this map show where um, there is a lot of wealth, right? Areas of concentrated wealth. And a lot of it for us is located in what uh, Charlotte historians call the wedge. So it's between 77 and Independence, and it's this kind of triangle wedge in the south part of our city. And if you can see the red mark in the middle of that, that's where our church is, right? We are located in this area of concentrated wealth within our city, And then in the map next to it, it shows um, demographics of race in our city. And so I wanted to show these maps um, side by side because I think it can help us as we think about generosity and as we think about leveraging what we have and what it means for us to care for and to love people who are different than us. So much of Paul's ministry um, was about bringing together groups of people that were divided. And so whether it was Jews and Gentiles, male and female, rich and poor, Um, he was reconciling and bringing these people together. And so when we are thinking today about generosity and when we are thinking about what it is that, like in Paul's teaching, when we all are worthy, right? We all, even outside of any gender, any class, you know, that we all are are worthy of um, being recipients of goodness and grace. It's helpful for us to think of where people are physically located in our city. Where are people that might be different from us, right? People who look different from us. Where, where are the refugees? Where are the immigrants? Where are the people who are vulnerable? Where are the people who, who aren't located in these areas of wealth that are living in poverty? Where are people who, who might be jobless or homeless or living on fixed incomes? And when we consider where the Lord has placed us in this city, You guys, we have so much to leverage for the kingdom. This is an amazing opportunity that we have been given as a community of people. And this is what we get to do. This is part of our purpose that we can leverage this stuff for the kingdom. And when we do, there will be an impact on our city and there will be an impact on the kingdom and there will be an impact on us. Because that's what happens when we do this. We actually lay hold of the life that is truly life. And we participate in living out and experiencing life to the full. Now, I was actually um, pretty eager to teach about money this morning. And the reason is that this is an area that I've personally experienced a lot of transformation Um, so I actually grew up in Charlotte, but I grew up quite poor. I was raised by a single mom and we grew up, I was on welfare and food stamps and I got free lunch at school. Um, and my husband, Ryan, grew up in a different part of the country, but he also grew up poor. And so as we have navigated um, our life together and finances, this is one of the things that we bring to the table, right? We all bring stuff with us when we think about money and when we think about our finance and how it interplays with our faith. But one of the things that he and I have often talked about is how growing up the way that we did gives us this tendency to want to stockpile stuff. Right? We end up wanting to have a lot in our bank accounts so that we never find ourselves in a situation like we were when we were growing up. And so this is something that we have a lot of conversations about and that we wrestle with when we say, do you think Jesus is happy with how much stuff that we have? Do you think Jesus is happy with how much stuff we're trying to have? And so these are conversations that we have where we're saying, you know, we, we want to flee from this, but we want to honor God and we want to steward this stuff. And so this has been an area where we have found tremendous growth um, in our lives personally. One of the things that we have committed to is um, giving a percentage of our wealth, right, or of our income. And so one of the things, you know, that, that's just even worth thinking about is that dollar amounts feel different to different people, right? So if we said, hey, let's give $1,000, for some, for some of us, we literally couldn't do it because we don't have $1,000. And for others of us, $1,000 wouldn't be noticeable um, or very noticeable to, to miss, And so we talk about percentage giving, right, as a way to be generous with what is it to give away percentages of our income. And as we have talked about this, it's something that we've committed to doing and that we want to grow in um, over time to increase our percentage of giving. And I just want to tell you, and part of why I wanted to come and to teach about this is, as we have done this, we have literally been transformed, Like as we have have thought about God's kingdom and as we have said, we want to give to these different people or these places or these ministries, our hearts have changed. And the way that we see people and the way that we understand ministry and the way that we understand God's work in the world has shifted. And we really have experienced something of this life to the full that Paul is teaching about. And one of the most um, profound moments actually in our marriage was we were actually in our bedroom and I can remember where Ryan was standing by the dresser and we had just had a budget meeting where we talk about, you know, our budget for the month and um, he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, you know, I've decided that I'm just not going to have some of the stuff that I thought I wanted because I want to give it away instead. And we just looked at each other and we had this moment where our eyes were filled with tears and we recognized we wanted the Lord to transform us. And so having a moment like that doesn't, doesn't mean this isn't something you have to revisit again, right? Culture is strong and the, the pull towards acquiring stuff is ever present, but I'm telling you there is something that is so profound about following Jesus in our giving. There is something that is transformational because not only does it minister to people, not only does it grow the gospel, but it changes us and is part of how we experience life to the full. Um, I did some reading this week about generosity, and one of the studies that I found that Barna had done said that um, Christians, those of us who follow Jesus, we tend to be quite generous in response to things, right? So something will come up, or there will be a giving campaign, or a need will be presented, and we tend to, to give in response to those things. But it's actually a much smaller percentage of Christians that actually plan out their giving that are intentional about the times or the ways or the places where they're going to give percentages of their income. And so this was my invitation to us as I was thinking about this and thinking about what the Lord would have us to do. Right? I wonder what it would look like for us to ensure that our generosity as a community and as individuals goes beyond an act of giving to a way of living. Right. What if we became people who gave not only in response, like an emotional response to a need, we, we want to do that, but what if our generosity goes beyond an act of giving into a way of living where we were actually known and our lives were characterized by our generosity? I don't know where you are right now in terms of your generosity, but I just want to invite you this morning to dream And I want to invite you to a really courageous level of openness to the Holy Spirit right now in your own life, right? As you're sitting, just you and the Lord, what is the Lord stirring in you? What might the Lord be inviting you to in terms of responsiveness and generosity, right? Can you imagine what this might look like if more of us grabbed hold of it? Can you imagine what it would look like if we all actually focused more on what we could give away than on what we could acquire, right? What would it look like if, if people around us were so baffled by our levels of generosity that there would be no other explanation other than surely God is among them and he has transformed them? What if that was the kind of generosity that we were embodying, not just an act of giving, but a way of living ongoing? right? Why do churches talk about this? Why do we bring it up? Why, why do we um, constantly remember this? It's because generosity is part of our purpose. This is something that we get to do. We get to follow Jesus in this kind of love. God so loved the world that he gave. And so may that be true of each of us as well.